Good morning, church. Um, I continue to be thankful for uh, both the gift and the call to uh, serve as a, a, a messenger of the word of God. But I admit that there are times and seasons um, and reasons uh, where standing here and sharing uh, God's word is more difficult um, than others. Uh, the running joke at all of the churches I've served before was that somehow, some way, uh, it was always my turn to preach whenever some a catastrophic event had happened in uh, the world. Uh, but when one takes the role of lead pastor, senior pastor, the reality is that more often than not, the the, the battle for the soul of our uh, world um, is constantly raging. And I believe it was Charles Spurgeon um, that said uh, that any good preacher preaches with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Because the reality is, brothers and sisters, that even when it's uncomfortable, the word of God has something to say to us uh, when the world seems to be at its most chaotic. I prayerfully ask you this morning to join me uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 will be our text today. Uh, and it reads as follows. It simply says, you are salt or the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. My title today, which comes in the form of a question, is simply this. Still salty. Still salty. Let's pray. Gracious and holy God, we say thank you for being the magnificent God that you are. Um, God, as our country cries out um, in hurt and pain and shock and all Lord, we know that you are speaking and we know that you hear our cries. So, dear God, be with us in this moment as we grapple with and wrestle with all that is happening. Uh, that we will allow your word to uh, speak truth to us in love, but also give us a glimmer of hope. It's in your son Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Still salty. Choices. We all have them. The choices that we make not only shape who we are, but also shape the standards to which we are held. The great thing about choice is that when you choose to make a decision, you have also chosen to live with the results of those decisions. I believe that is why uh, when it comes to salvation uh, and when we allow Jesus to become the king of our hearts, he, he doesn't storm 
our lives and forcibly take hold. Uh, he, he gently stands and offers his love, his redemption, uh, his reconciliation and restoration. And we can choose to accept it or not. This is an important point because when we choose to follow Jesus, brothers and sisters, we also choose to live by and be judged by kingdom values. Kingdom values that sometimes are counterintuitive to the values of the world that we live in. I know that this is a constant battle that many of us must face. For me personally, this became uh, very evident uh, in a time in my life where I was at conflict with uh, who I wanted to be and who my faith called me to be uh, and who I was actually comfortable being. It became extremely evident at times when people would seek me for advice or words of wisdom. And I would always, before I responded to the question that they had asked, ask them, do you want the Christian advice? Or do you want the Leslie advice? Even then, I knew that there was a flesh driven, flesh driven part of me that at times wanted to take control of my thoughts and my actions. I don't know if my 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 fear of stepping fully into the life and the person that God had called me to be was because I was afraid to be linked. Uh to the, the, the judgmental attitudes that people felt came from the church. I don't know if I was afraid that people would start to hold me to the standard that I should have held myself to. I don't know what caused this dichotomy in my personality. Much like our covenant brothers and sisters who want to see us drop evangelical from our name to distance ourselves from the narrative that is connected to that word. Maybe there was some inner shame or inner fear that I had about being connected to the church, but more than likely it was the result of the, uh, the, the, the divisiveness in my heart where Jesus had not fully taken control. All I know is there will come a time where I had to make a choice. There would come a time where I could no longer tiptoe between being a person of faith and being a person of this world. You see, brothers and sisters, I was being lukewarm. And in the back of my mind, I had this imagery of God spewing me from his mouth because my faith walk was neither hot nor cold, but a stale room temperature that did nothing to advance the movement of the kingdom. If anything, it lacked convention, conviction and moved the movement backwards. There would come a time like I said, in my life where I had to make a choice. Matthew chapter five through seven, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount, 
offers another choice as well. It is widely believed and accepted that this Sermon on the Mount did not happen all at once. Jesus did not just sit down and go on and on and on about the various things that he discusses in chapters five through seven from murder and adultery to the fulfillment of the law. Since we understand that the gospel writer uh, most likely likes to uh, group his stories and his scriptures thematically. Uh, it is believed that Matthew just intentionally grouped together um, a collection of Jesus's teachings in order to give a complete and succinct, succinct insight into Jesus's theology and the theology of the kingdom of God and its initiatives. But another thing is widely believed and understood as well. Because as you get further along into the Sermon on the Mount, you also see Jesus often saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You have heard it said, then he goes on and then counters that by saying, I tell you. One of my favorite Greek professors pointed out that more than anything, what he believed the Sermon on the Mount was doing was raising the bar. He was challenging the status quo. He was saying that that the approach that the religious leaders had, of that time had taken was not good enough. And even though they had taught one thing, you had heard it said, I, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, <coughs> actually say this instead. He was letting his early disciples know that the standards that had been set at that point were no longer good enough. That citizenship and the kingdom required us to go above and beyond the hypocritical standards set by the religious leaders of that time. Not only was he letting us, the early disciples, know how kingdom citizens should behave, he was letting us know that the teachings and lifestyle of the leaders of that day was subpar and that those who would follow him had to do and be better. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ was offering the crowd a choice. He was offering them a choice of, of, of living either the way of the kingdom or the way of the religious establishment of that time. A religious establishment who was more concerned about outward appearance than they were about the conditions of their hearts. A religious establishment who cared more about the traditions of men than God-centered doctrine. A religious establishment who professed God with their mouths, but whose hearts were far from him. And brothers and sisters today, we are faced with that same choice. Brothers and sisters, we must choose. In verse 13, it says this, it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? History tells us that there were three main uses or purposes for salt. 
that salt was used to preserve when there was no refrigeration system in that time. Salt was used as a preservative to slow the decay of the meat. Salt was also used to enhance the flavor of food. And thirdly, salt was used to simulate, to stimulate growth. It would be easy to take one of these uses and use it as an analogy in and of itself. But the clearer reality is that it is most likely that Jesus was alluding to the presence of his kingdom's citizens having an effect on the world that has some elements of all three. That like salt, kingdom citizens, citizens should have a preservative effect that slowed and eradicated the decay and the moral decline of humanity. That kingdom citizens and their presence should enhance the world with the presence of their lives and the presence of kingdom values. It should enhance the flavor of the earth. That the presence of kingdom citizens should stimulate the growth of the world around us. That when kingdom citizens are present, when people who are living their lives according to kingdom values are present, that it stimulates uh, the, the growth and the health of the world around us. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if we really take time to uh, take an account are we really having the kingdom effect that was intended which is probably why Jesus after declaring that we are the salt of the earth he goes on to say this but if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again I say that the question is rhetorical because his listeners, like many, would know that scientifically salt can't lose its saltiness. So what was Jesus really proposing? I believe that what Jesus was proposing is the notion that those who have really accepted the kingdom and its values would have this salty effect in the world that would have this preservation effect, would have this enhancement effect, would have this stimulation effect in the world. But those uh, that never really allowed kingdom values to set in their heart were never really salty in the first place. And brothers and sisters, it's within the context of being the salt of the earth that I view the events of this past week. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sure many of you, like myself, sat and watched in horror as our capital was attacked. You probably sat and watched in horror as we saw images of nooses hanging from places. As we saw the Confederate flags being waved, 
As I saw video after video of the terror in the eyes of many of the Capitol Police officers as they were trampled by this violent mob. As I heard the messages of hatred and anger and violence being yelled. As I saw videos of officers being chased through the building and watched them run as they feared for their lives. I can go on and on and on about all of the horrible images that I saw as I sat in my bedroom holding back tears alone, wondering what in the world I was watching. I could go on and on about how distraught I was. I could go on and on about the comparisons I could make about the lack of presence of military and police in this particular crowd. But I won't. I won't give social commentary on our president. I won't make any statements about the political rhetoric uh, that was responsible for inciting uh, this riot. The political rhetoric that had been very prominent for the past several years. Because I hope that the event itself will speak for itself. Uh, I won't do it because the most disturbing thing that I saw in the midst of all the chaos was the flags that bear the name of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, therein, in my opinion, lies our biggest failure. Family, the, the biggest failure, I believe, is the fact that for years, Christian leaders, pastors, evangelists, self-proclaimed prophets proudly proclaimed that this administration was somehow God's choice for our country. But brothers and sisters, I watched. I did not see any evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so I lamented because we allowed ourselves, the church, the church of Jesus Christ to become bedfellows. We lost our ability to witness when the world needed us the most. The same voices that touted and proclaimed this was God's will were nowhere to be found. And as the world stood watching, trying to reconcile the church's proclamations and what we were seeing, the church went silent. I often hear people say that politics have no place in the church. But the events of Wednesday, January the 6th unfolded. The leaders of the church who had so proudly declared that this was God's will were forced to be quiet and reckon with all that was happening before our eyes. And brothers and sisters, the last thing that we can afford to do as a church of Jesus Christ is ever put ourselves in a position where we lose our witness. 
We are challenged to be in the world and not of it for such a time as this. Because in a time where people are hurting or a time where people are seeking answers, a time where people need to understand where God is, they need to be able to hear and trust that the leaders and the believers are speaking and are emissaries for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters. Similar to when Jesus presented the Beatitudes, the preamble to the kingdom mandate that was followed followed by the Sermon on the Mount. We as disciples, as kingdom citizens must choose whether or not we will be planted firmly in our faith and allow Jesus to take root in our hearts and guide our lives. Or will we go back and forth with every wind of change because we are more tempted by the treasures of this world than we are motivated by the treasures of heaven? Michael J. Wilkins said this in his commentary. He said, we must speak the truth of the gospel for people to know it. But we are called to live the truth of the gospel for people to see that it is real. The light of the kingdom will produce a changed life in us that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. The Beatitudes that precede these verses emphasize that change produced in the character of disciples who are transformed by the arrival of the kingdom. Intentional joining in the world requires us to be alert to the stark difference between our discipleship and the world's values and habits, and to live out the kingdom values summarized in the Beatitudes and revealed more fully in the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, brothers and sisters, we have to choose either the kingdom of God and its principles and statutes or the values of this world, but we can't have both. When we try to have both, we find ourselves being hypocritical, just as the Pharisees were, yet becoming ineffective. And like salt that has lost its flavor, we are only good for being thrown out and trampled by the very world that we were meant to change for the sake of the kingdom. Verse 14 says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, we are bearers of the light, the light that has come into the world to break apart the darkness. And when we refuse to choose and stand firm in the choice to be kingdom citizens, we become like those who put the light under a basket, not only hiding the light, not only dimming the light but essentially snuffing out the light in us that was meant to shine. 
1989, in his farewell presidential address, President Reagan said this. The past few days when I've been at that window upstairs, I thought a bit of the shining city upon the hill. The phrase comes from John Winthrop, who wrote it to describe the America he imagined. What he imagined was important because he was uh, an early pilgrim, an early freedom man. He journeyed here on what today we'd call a little wooden boat. And like the other pilgrims, he was looking for a home that would be free. I've spoken of the shining city all my political life, but I don't know if I ever quite communicated what I saw when I said it. But in my mind, it was a tall, proud city built on rocks stronger than oceans. Windswept, God blessed and teeming with people of all kinds, living in harmony and peace. A city with free ports and hung with commerce and creativity. And if there had to be city walls, the walls had doors and the doors were open to anyone with the will and the heart to get here. That's how I saw it and see it still. How stands the city? Well, Mr. President, I think the answer to that question seems a lot more grim today than it did that day in 1989. But here is where I will forever find hope. Because as beautiful as that sentiment was, it still fell short of the glory of the kingdom of God. Because in God's kingdom, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you, brothers and sisters, despite all that has happened, all that is happening and will continue to happen. As long as I live into my kingdom citizenship, I will forever remain hopeful because I know that God's solution to the pain of this world, that God's solution to racism and evil, God's solution to the poor and to poverty and to broken heartedness was never a political party, was never a politician, was never a political position or a platform. It has and will always be Jesus Christ and his church. And so brothers and sisters, we must remain salty. And today we must choose, in spite of everything that we have seen, to be and remain the church of God. Let us pray. Lord, our prayer is simply this. 
Your word calls us to be salt and light. The Lord, give us so much faith and so much security in you and your word that we find more treasure and find more pleasure in pursuing your kingdom and seeking your kingdom first than anything that this world has to offer. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Receive now the benediction. May the grace of God and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide between each of us until we all shall meet again. Go, be salt and light. Amen. Thank you.